0: Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. number of years ago, I served under a pastor, a senior pastor, and his whole thing, I mean, he would talk about prayer on a regular basis, which is a good thing. But he said, when you pray, don't be vague in your prayers. Be absolutely specific. So don't just pray, God, can you help my finances? Pray for that exact number that you want to show up. Okay, don't just pray for that raise, pray for the right amount. Don't just pray that God gives you a home, pray specifically with an address of where you want to live. Pray specifically. Single people, don't just pray that God will bring you a godly husband or a godly wife. He said, pray, pray, pray for their eye color, pray for their hair color, pray for their heights, pray for their career, pray for their education. You pray specifically, like, whoa, Right. And, and kind of prayer JBAS stuff. If you've been around for 20 years in churches, uh, but he, I mean, he would talk about that often. And as you hear about it, like, wow, okay. Yeah. Pray specifically. And there is some good truth to that, right? Because God wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And so we should be specific, right? So when you're talking to your, your parents, when you're talking to your children, when you're talking to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, You tend to go into details, sometimes more details than they care to know. But you tend to go into details about the things you care about. The same thing in your relationship with God. We should be specific. And that's all well and good. But sometimes, sometimes we should be careful what we ask God for. Why? That seems weird to say. Why should we be careful what we ask God for? As we continue our journey through the book of 1 Samuel, we find ancient Israel, and here they are in ancient Israel. At this point, they had no king. They all had, uh, uh, they heard from God directly through their judges. And at this point in the story, Samuel, he is a prophet, meaning he communicates God's words to the people. He is a priest, meaning he brings the people to God in their relationship. And he is also their judge. And so he communicates to Israel what God wants them to do so that they can turn around and do it. But their king is not Samuel, the prophet, the judge. Their king is God Almighty himself. And that's where we pick up this narrative In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. Okay, so it starts out, Samuel's old, it doesn't tell us how old, but use your imagination. I mean, they only had kind of a, a life expectancy rate of maybe like 38 at this point. So I don't know if old was like 40, uh, probably not. They they probably meant like, you know, 60, 70, somewhere around that age range. But they said he, he's he's old. He makes his son judges over Israel. And it says that they were in Beersheba. So oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll see, the Bible talk about from Dan to Beersheba. That means from north to south. Beersheba was like the last stop on the exit from the promised land. And so he puts them in charge of Beersheba. Now it's essentially an outpost town. If you know anything about outpost towns, you don't tend to heavily populate when you're on the border, right next to possibly enemy territory or when invasions come in. So this was at this point in the story, scholars think that maybe there was like 20 families there. So what are we talking about? Like 80 people, maybe 120. So he didn't put them in charge of of like, you know, a metropolis. He didn't put them in charge of Jerusalem or Shiloh. He puts them in charge of a small little municipality. It's kind of like if they're overseeing a church of about 80 people, which is probably what we have here right now. So it's not, you know, sprawling metropolis. It's just, you know, a small little gathering of people. And if you know anything about Samuel, Samuel was a good man. And if you know anything about parenting, good parents always result in good kids, right? If you're a good parent and you're a good person, your kids are always going to take your advice and they're going to become good, upstanding citizens, yeah. <laughs> and you're all looking at me like, I don't know if we should fire him now or wait till after the sermon. No, of course not. Of course not. You're gonna have the best parents in the world. And the kid, the problem with parenting is the kid always gets a decision in the, the process, don't they? You're gonna have follow everything perfectly, and the kid still gets a decision whether they want to follow what you've taught them or not. And that's what we find with Samuel's sons, verse three, yet his sons did not walk in his ways. But turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So that's not good. In fact, this should, those of you who've been here since we've been going through 1st Samuel, this should echo back to Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and how they were taking bribes and they were using the name of God in order to fatten themselves and in order to gain a head, and, and they would abuse Israel in the process. Now, this is bad what Samuel's sons are doing. But fortunately, I mean, it's not, they're not in Shiloh, the capital of the city of of Israel right now. They are in Beersheba. So it's not thousands and tens of thousands that they're affecting. They're affecting maybe 80, 100 people. It's bad what they're doing, but it's not all encompassing. However, Israel takes this as an opportunity. Verse 4 says that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him behold you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways now point for us a king to judge us like all the nations that must have heard you are old I don't know about you guys, if, if, if anyone has ever said that to you in a pejorative way. They're not saying it in a positive way. Typically, in older texts, old is a positive, right? It means you've survived, means you have wisdom, means you have age, right? You know, today in America, when you say old, it usually is it's kind of a put-down or dismissive language, and they were using it in that way here. You're old. You're too old. You're not going to be around for much longer, Samuel, which we find out is not true. He's around for decades longer you're old, you can't do this anymore. And we would be okay with your sons doing this, but you put them in charge of of this town and they're terrible. Everybody knows that they're terrible. You know that they're terrible. And it's true. We want you to appoint a king to judge us like all the nations. Wait a minute. Who is Israel's king? God. And by way of analogy, Christians, who is our king? Jesus, right? Do you want another king other than Jesus? Anyone want to sign up for another king other than Jesus? Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna come back to that in a second. I'm sorry, uh, but okay. So all of Israel comes to him because his sons are, are 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 doing a bad job. This is a bit of an overreaction, I think right? So so there's 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 80 people, they're mistreating them, uh, they're taking bribes, it's not good. But but then they're saying like, oh, we've got to change the whole system. We can't have God as our king anymore. We are, we have to have a, a human king. We have to have a physical king right in our presence that we can see and feel and touch. We don't want to do this system anymore where we have to go to the judge and then he has to pray to God and then God communicates to the. We don't want to do that anymore. We can't do it anymore. And look, the whole system is broken because your sons aren't following in your ways. Total overreaction, 80 people. If you go to a church and you find that the church there is all jerks and it's a small little, you know, church, does that mean that every church is a crock and all churches are hypocritical? No, of course not. Of course, it doesn't mean that. If you're in a town and you find a crooked judge, right, who's taking bribes and everything, does that mean the whole judicial system is broken? No, it does not. But Israel is taking this as an opportunity. They see like a little bit of a fracture in the armor, and they say, ah, time to strike. Let's go in and widen the gap. Let's get what we finally want. We want a king. Verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to Yahweh. Yahweh. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. Wow. Samuel says, this is wrong. You're their king. And what does God say? Give them what they want, but warn them. Why should we be careful what we ask God for? This is—I I think this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Here's Samuel. He's—he's—he has to be feeling hurt. Samuel has done a good job leading Israel. Just twenty years prior to this, he had led them in one of the greatest battles and victories Israel had ever seen, where God put confusion into the Philistine army and and, and sent them out, and they never bothered Israel while Samuel was a judge. Again, he's had a really good track record. It's incredible. He has judged them. He has sacrificed for them. And they come and they say, you're too old now. Dismissed. Let's get out of here. And your your sons are terrible. We don't want you. So Samuel goes to God. He's like, this is wrong. You're, You're their king. But Samuel's feeling bad. And God knows that Samuel's feeling bad. And he says to Samuel, God says to Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. That kind of echoes what Jesus warned us about in in the Gospel of John. No servant is greater than his master. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you as well. They've rejected me. Give them what they want, but warn them that it's not good for them, is what God is saying to them. Now, I have looked at this text with uh, pastors and colleagues all over the world, and what's amazing is... trying to apply this moment to our lives is so uncomfortable, most of us don't want to do it. We don't. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard my pastor colleagues, as they're going through this text, they come to this point and they will say, instead of doing what the text wants us to do and be introspective and say, how am I like ancient Israel here? Instead of doing that, which is what stories, narrative literature, invites us to do it invites us to come in and say, how is my life like this but we don't want to do that and so what i've heard over and over again i've heard it in vietnam i've heard it in canada i've heard it in america in multiple places (laughs) they will say how stupid was ancient israel they had god as their king and they rejected him as their king there's they're so stupid it's not what the text wants us to do how are we like ancient israel the protagonists of this story. How are we like them? How are you like them? How are we knowing that it's not what God ideally wants in our life, and yet we demand it of him anyways? How are we like that? Uh, I think one way we're like that is uh, with uh, the celebrity culture that the church has built up. We are so obsessed with celebrities. Man, we want the celebrity. We want a champion to represent Christianity, right? And so if, oh, no, I don't know, if you're watching like American Idol or the better show, The Voice, and there is a Christian singer on there. Somebody should have shouted amen on that one. But if you're watching that those shows and there's a Christian, all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's a Christian. I've got a text in. I've got a I've got to vote. We gotta upvote this person. Can you imagine if this person wins? Oh my goodness, the whole world will be changed right? I didn't live through this, but I read through all the history. If Bob Dylan comes to faith in Christ, do you know what will happen? That happened like, like 50, 60 years ago, right? So I was like, wow, the whole world will be turned upside down. Ah. We got two good albums out of the deal, okay? I'm not, but we want a champion I, with churches. I mean, my goodness, churches want a celebrity pastor. They really do. I, I have no clue. You know, I think you guys did a I think you did an admirable job picking your next pastor. Um, no, but, but I've, I've consulted and talked with churches and pastor search teams over the years, and it horrifies me. It horrifies me when I'll say, what are the attributes you're looking for? And often, not all the time, but often I will hear them say things like, well, we want the pastor to be famous. And then you look at their budget, you're like, well, A, you can't afford a famous pastor. But but B, like, that's your criteria? Like, you want a famous pastor, and they have other stuff, and they give lip service to other stuff. But man, shouldn't character matter more? Shouldn't their love of God matter more? Shouldn't their love of people matter more? Shouldn't their theology matter more? Shouldn't their ability to correctly preach the word of God matter more? And yet it's so uncomfortable to talk about this and to say these ideals that we have, and how could Israel possibly reject God as their king? We do the same thing. We want a champion that can go out before us and fight our battles for us that we can see and we can touch and we can get bumper stickers and we can follow them on social media. If you're uncomfortable now, buckle up. We're going to get a little more uncomfortable. Am I allowed to preach to you this morning? Thanks, (laughs) Jason. All right. How else do we do this as Christians? How else do we, like ancient Israel, reject Jesus as our king and say, no, I'd rather serve a man instead? It is very well documented. Since the 1960s, there has been a concerted effort by evangelicals And that's a big tent term that means uh, Christians that believe in the Bible, they believe in personal salvation. So there's a lot of different denominations that 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 applies to. But there has been a concerted, focused effort since the 1960s with organizations and groups and movements for the church, for Christians to be able to become a, a power broker within the American political system. We want to have power we want to have influence we want to have a voice we want to be a voting block we want to have control we want to see the laws passed that we think will be most effective there has been a concerted effort and 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 truthfully if i can be honest it's largely a white evangelical movement and what's amazing with this movement is it has it has grown and there's these organizations and they start and then they they crumble and fail for a variety of reasons, but they crumple and fail, but instead of the whole movement falling apart, instead it grows more to the point where the, the subculture I was born into and the subculture most of us Christians have been been brought up in, we think that we have to vote the right way, whatever in the world that means, we have to vote the right way, otherwise we are being unfaithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. That We have to have political power in order to transform the culture. We have to have the right laws to change people. And what's incredible to that, and what's incredible to me, and what's incredible to so many of you, is that when was the last time the law was effective at changing people's hearts? Never. And if you doubt that, if you're like, I don't know, Pastor, I don't like where you're going with this, here's the test. Here's the test. Is the law effective at changing our hearts? Imagine you are speeding down the road. You know that you are speeding and you get pulled over by a police officer. How do you respond in that moment? In your heart of hearts, are you going, thank goodness, Jesus, thank you that this police officer has pulled me over because I was out of control and going too fast. And finally, I'm being reined in. Anybody respond that way? I don't respond that way. Why would you do this to me, God? And I'm angry at the cop, and I'm angry. I'm not angry at me. It doesn't. Laws don't change our hearts. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ will. Only a radical encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again. Only a radical encounter will change hearts and will change culture and change society. And yet, for the last seventy years, we have been obsessed. With gaining political power, political prestige. We don't want Jesus as king. We want a human king. We want human power that we can grab onto so we can have our own comfort and we can have our own ideals. Why should we be careful what we ask God for? Don't worry, it's going to get worse, but you've already given me permission to preach. Verse 10. and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the 10th of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the 10th of your flocks and you shall be his slaves." And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. He's saying, I'm, I'm warning you, you want this. You want a human king for yourself. God Almighty is your king. He will never fail you. He's not going to do what you want all the time, but He's not going to fail you. He's not going to mistreat you. He's not going to abuse you. But you want a human king, it's going to start out good. It's going to start out great. you got this human champion, and then it's all going to fall apart, and you realize he is not your servant. You are his servant. You are not in charge. You are not in control, and you will cry out, and God won't answer. Whew. Wow. I think when we pray prayers and we ask God or demand things of God that we shouldn't have, I think God warns us. Sometimes he warns us within our hearts. Sometimes he warns us with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we're talking it through. And they say, I don't know if that's a good idea. Right? But we, we, we'll we pray to God and we'll say, God, I, I want this job. I want this raise I, I want this home. You know, brother, sister will come and say, you know, I don't know if that's, that home's the best move for you. You have a great neighborhood right now. Kids are all friends with everybody, you know, and that's kind of expensive. Is this, is this the the best use of your money and time? And and you know what it's like to move? Anyone know what it's like to move? It's miserable to move, especially with kids. Uh, It's a lot of work. You got to pack and then you got to unpack. Oh, it's it's a nightmare. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe God says something to you in your spirit. You're praying. You're like, man, God, I want to find a spouse or I want to, I want to date this, this person. You know, I want to find a boyfriend. I want to find a girlfriend. And God, you find a person and God warns you and you're like, God, please make this happen. And Maybe God warns you in your heart. Maybe he warns you through a brother or sister. You know, that, that, that woman, that man, they're not good for you. They're really not. They don't love God. They don't, they don't love you. They love themselves more than anything else. I hesitate to tell the story, but I think it, uh, well, God brought it up in my mind while I was going through this. So I said, okay, let's, let's share it. Uh, former student of mine, Kristen's, uh, back in California, uh, we'd moved to Michigan and a few months after we moved to Michigan, we got a phone call from her. And, uh, she told us that, uh, she, she was single, uh, dating somebody, but that she was pregnant. I was like, Oh, okay. And she says, yeah, but you know, I'm going to, I, you know, we're, Everyone's encouraging me to marry him and everything. And, you know, we're getting ready to, to get married. I just want to talk to you and everything. And, and I said, well, hold on. Wait a minute. Like, I don't know this guy. I've only met him a couple of times. So I, you know, can't make any honest assessment. But is he a good man? Does he love the Lord? Does he love you? Because, listen, don't get married to him and make a mistake just so you can save face, Okay. Like, don't go, don't, don't, like, I, I don't know him, right? Maybe he is a great guy. I just don't know. But if he's not, don't get married thinking that it's going to fix your current situation. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. So she went ahead and married him, which was like, okay, I, I don't know. I was just I was throwing that out there as a caution. Don't feel obligated to marry him right now. So she got married to him. And then I was like, I don't know, three or four years later, she, con- maybe longer, she contacted us and and said uh, that she was uh, divorcing him because he was abusive. And I was like, "Oh man, I'm so sorry. I you know." And she said, "No, I wanted to thank you, because while everyone was telling us, "Go, oh, go ahead, get married. Yeah, that's great. get married. Her whole family, everyone, get married. Everyone encouraged." said "You're the only voice that said, "Maybe not." And when she was going through the abuse and making this decision, she could remember that we had cautioned her and said, maybe not. And that gave her enough to say, I need to get out of this. And there's someone that cares. God does that with us. Maybe he uses a, a, a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe he, uses, um, maybe he uses your inward spirit. Maybe it speaks to you through his word. But he will give us a warning. Why should we be careful what we ask God for? You know, God also warned us about trying to make men our kings. He warned us about, especially Christians, Jesus warns us about putting too much stock in the political system. And look, the political system matters, right? It does but the evangelical movement that I've been talking about that's been happening since the 1960s and there's books and there's data and it's hard data where many, not all, but many Christians, Bible-believing Christians, have like tried obsessively to grab onto political power. Jesus warned us about this. Remember when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate and he was facing um, his imminent death? As Pilate, Governor Pilate, was questioning him, he asked Jesus, uh, are you a king? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. That's usually what we quote. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Now listen, if there is ever a point that you can justify physical violence, it should be to rescue the king of kings and Lord of lords, right? And yet Jesus here, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. It's higher, it's better, it's beyond. You can kill me and you can't touch it. You can kill them and you can't touch it. If my kingdom wasn't of this world, if my kingdom was right here, right now, then my disciples, they would come and they would fight, but they don't because my kingdom's higher, my kingdom's better, my kingdom's stronger, my kingdom's invisible and you can't touch it. And yet how often do us Christians, we become obsessed. Oh, we got to win the election. We got to vote the right way. Oh, all is lost. If the right person doesn't win and get into office. He also warned us, this is not just about the political system, but it applies. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus taught this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a warning. What does it profit if we win the political system in America, if Christians are on top, and yet we had to get rid of our love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and our love of neighbor in order to do it? What happens if we alienate half the country and we have the limited amount of political power that we have in this country? What did it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Jesus was warning us about all kinds of things that we could pursue, that damage our souls. Just like God is warning us this morning, like he warned ancient Israel, if you think you want a physical champion above God Almighty, it is not going to work out the way you want it to. Why should we be careful what we ask God for? Verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, No! but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Fight our battles? Like, what do you, who do you think this is? Sauron? Sauron from the Lord of the Rings? You got one guy who's gonna like take everyone out in a single stroke? Come on. He's gonna fight our battles for us? He's gonna fight at the back of the line while he sends you to the front as fodder to die for him they were warned and they said no guys church if you put your faith if you put your hope in a person they your ultimate hope your ultimate hope this person is going to fulfill all my wants needs and desires you will be disappointed you will doesn't if you put your hope in a celebrity pastor that's a, if you put your hope in a, if you put your ultimate hope in me, I will fail you. I've already failed a number of you only been here 10 months and I'm going to keep failing you, not intentionally. <laughs> if you put your ultimate hope in a person, they will fail. You put it like, look at all the pastors who are having these moral failings all around. Oh, I'm going to put my ultimate hope in Robbie Zacharias. Oops. Bill Hybels. Oops. The list goes on. We're not going to be here all day. We just list out pastors who've fallen in the last decade, and it's heartbreaking. It's horrible. Pastors will fail you. If you put your hope in a celebrity, they're going to fail you. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. I wasn't going to do this, but I am. Oh, my goodness, right? A few years ago, Kanye West came out with that great album, Jesus is King. It was phenomenal. I listened to it with my kids. And now he just came out with a new album. And I started listening to one song and I said, that is enough. I can't take any more than this. And I'm not over here hating on him. I am here grieving for him, praying that he will come back to the Lord who loves him and shed his blood for him. But if you put your ultimate hope that this celebrity is going to do great, uh, they're going to fail you. If you put your ultimate hope that you got to marry the right person or date the right person, guess what? You're trying to make that person into God Almighty in your life, and I guarantee you, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife is not God Almighty, and they will fail you. And it's not fair to expect to, to put that on them. Why should we be careful what we pray for? If you put your hope in a political candidate, your ultimate hope, this person will make my life better. They will fail you. And we have all the history to show that there is no political candidate in the United States of America who ever gets their entire agenda across. In fact, the whole system is designed so that they can't. And yet, every four years we go through this again. Ah, we're going to put all of our hope in this person. they will not. Verse 21. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And Yahweh said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Wow. Yeah, I've I've worked with churches enough and you'll see churches that that you know on the outside they look okay maybe their doctrinal statement is fine but the way they treat people is terrible the way they treat other churches is terrible and you'll look at some of these, these large churches, and, and there are some very healthy large churches out there, so I'm not disparaging all large churches. But you'll look at some of these large churches, and they beat their chests, and they're like, look what God has done. And I'm behind the scenes, and I'm like, no, look what your manipulation, look what your hatred of neighbor, and look what steamrolling over people and manipulating them in the name of God has done. That's not God's work. That's blasphemy. That's taking God's name in vain. And then you'll look at Christians. And again, over the, since the 1960s, over and over and over again, trying to grab onto political power, look at the laws that we've passed. Look at, the, look at the, the, the candidates that we've elected. Look at what we've achieved. And I look at that as a Christian. I look at that as someone who Jesus died on the cross for, who he shed his blood, not just for me, not just for half the country, but for everyone. And I'll say, look at how you've alienated half the country. They'll never hear the gospel because of the way you treated them. Obey their voice. Make them a king. And it ends the latter part of verse 22. It says, Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. I have to imagine this is Samuel. He's meeting with them. He drops the mic and says, you disgust me. Get off my lawn. Goes home close the door. Why should we be careful about what we ask God for in our personal lives, in our lives out there? Why, why should we be careful what we ask God for? Because sometimes God will give us what we ask for, even though it's not good for us. And again, it's not just like, uh, oh God, you know, I'm praying that you help me with this one thing, and boom, and then he gives you like this this horrible white elephant gift. No, that's not what we're talking about here. God will warn us when we are pursuing things that are not good for us. He'll warn us through His Spirit. He'll warn us through his word. He will warn us through our brothers and sisters. And if we persist, I have to date this person. I have to marry this person. I have to have that job. I have to have that house. I have to have that car. I have to pursue this political career because if we don't, we'll lose the country. And he warns us and warns us and warns us. And if it finally, we don't listen, God says, fine, have it. Even though it's not good for you, I remember I was teaching at a seminar in Michigan about this text. A young guy had brought it up, and he wanted to do this text, and he, he objected. He said, no, no, that's not true. God only gives good gifts. That's a great bumper sticker, isn't it? God only gives good gifts. And I think that's, I'm like, I'm like yeah, I agree with that, except for this text where God says no. If you persist in what you're going after, you're, you're going to get it, even though it's not good for you. So we need to be careful about what we are asking God for and what we are pursuing. The uh, singer uh, Lee Nash and her partner uh, Matt Slocum from Sixpence on the Richer uh, if you're familiar with that group. Actually, uh, they were both down here at the music hall a few months ago. I did go to see them. That was fantastic. Um, they they have this great Christmas song called Eternal Gifts, and I somehow missed listening to it this Christmas season. And it's way too late to listen to it now. But the lyrics, uh, just this brilliant little couplet, they say, Santa gives me what I want. Jesus gives me what I need. Isn't that good? Santa gives me what I want. Jesus gives me what I need. And we could do that in all, our, all of our entire lives. What do I want? What does God want? I, I think about politically. This is the last time I'll mention this, but it's still going to be more uncomfortable. So just buckle up for a second. Politically, what do I want? What do Christians want? Why are so many Christians pursuing the political system, even though we understand somewhere that it alienates people and it pushes people away from the gospel and it puts up barriers and it puts up border and it makes anger and hatred well up in our hearts? Why do we pursue it? Why? Well, we want prestige. We want honor. We want glory. We want comfort. We're scared about the way the world is changing. We want to have some amount of power, some amount of influence. What does God want us to do with the political system? Because I'm not suggesting that Christians get out of the political system. What does God want from the political system? By way of answering that, uh, about a month ago, uh, there was a uh, very interesting post that started making its way all around social media picture. I wanted to share it with you and get your reaction. Here's the picture that was going around social media. This was artificial intelligence, apparently, that put this together. And I'm glad some of you laughed. Because, why did we laugh? Why do we laugh when we see this? It's preposterous. It's ridiculous. These men hate each other. One probably more than the other, if we're being honest. But they do, like, they're they such bitter rivals. And, it, you know, and then you look at this and you're like, that could never happen. I mean, could you see, if you took their faces off and put the faces on of other people, could you see other people that you know in your life doing these activities together? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And so I saw that, and I started laughing. I really laughed hard, and I can't find who originally did it. No one can. Someone just decided to throw it out in the ether and see what would happen. And it's hilarious. And it's hilarious. But you know what? You know what also happened about a month ago? Martin Luther King's birthday. And I saw, I've never seen it before, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., required had a uh, requirement card that anyone who was involved in his protests had to sign and agree to. And here, here's that. um, Oh, I'm sorry. And here's what he had them agree to. He says, I hereby pledge myself, my personal body, to nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following 10 commandments. One, meditate daily on the teaching and life of Jesus. Two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. We'll come back to that one. That's my main point. But this is so good, we have to go through the whole thing. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men and women might be free. Five, sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men and women might be free. Six, observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seven, seek to perform regular services for others and for the world. Eight, refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. Oh, my goodness. Does that one not convict some of you? It convicts me. Yeah, I've never punched anyone. The violence of my tongue and my heart, oh, that convicts. Nine, strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. And ten, follow the directions of the movement. Let's go back to number two real quick. He said, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. My goodness, my goodness, this is what the vision is. Seeking reconciliation, not victory that's the problem with the evangelical not everyone i'm not indicting everyone that's the problem with so many christians who are trying to seek political victory that's not our goal our goal is reconciliation reconciliation to each other but better than that is reconciliation of people to god the apostle paul said it like this in second corinthians 5 he said all of this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and he Trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul says, look, Christian, your job in this world is to help people be reconciled to God. And how do you do that? You share the gospel of hope with them. You share with them that Jesus died for their sins, shed his blood on the cross for them and rose again. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then the heart transformation changes. And then the culture changes as more people are changed. But we've totally given up on evangelism. We've totally given up on the hope of the gospel because we say, no, we've got to change this world through political power, through political purpose. And we all know that that doesn't work. And yet we do it anyway. And we try to search for, for political victories when we should be looking for reconciliation victories. Sharing the love of Jesus, which will ultimately bring people together. And sharing the love of Christ. So then you look at your personal life. What do I want in my personal life? You know, I spent some time in prayer on this. And, you know, like it's hard. It's hard to, like, burrow past your heart's defenses. Right? And say, what do I want in my life? And I'm like, well, I, you know... Wanna love God, and you know, I, I just, like, you, you You build yourself up. I'm just going to be a good husband, and you know, I want to be a good father. That's what I want out of life. That's a simple life. That's all I want, right? Do yourself a favor. Spend some time this week and ask God those two questions. God, what do I want out of life? Like, really, burrow past my heart's defenses. What do I really want? And then, after you figure that out, God, what do you want for my life? Two different questions. Can I share with you what I came up with for me? Now, I'm sharing this with you not so you can attack me later in the future, okay? I'm trying to be transparent here. So after I got through all of the platitudes, I wrote, I want a wife who is obsessed with me. I want good and obedient children. I want to never worry about finances again, personally or professionally. I want a beautiful church building. I want fame as a preacher and fame as an author. I want to be the scourge of the corrupt culture and the hero to the church. Yeah, I have some lofty ideals for me. (laughs) Oh, praise God. Then I wrote, God, what do you want from me? And it took me a very long time to write all that down. Because, you know, again, I was just with platitudes. Oh, I want to be a good husband. No, I'm, no I, I, I want, I want, I want. I had to burrow past my heart, heart's defenses and get to the core of the matter until God could reveal my ultimate selfishness. But then when I said, God, what do you want for my life? Like that answer came so fast. This is exactly what I wrote down. And without any reservation, out, this is what God said to me. I want you to die to yourself and follow me. That's it. Stop living for yourself. Don't live for your own purposes, Nathan. Die to yourself and follow me. That's all he wants me to do. That's all he wants you to do follow Jesus. Come and follow him. Lay down all the struggle, lay down all the strife, lay down all the hardships. God, what do I want for my life? Ultimately turn it into, God, what do you want for my life? Go and follow Jesus because church Just like ancient Israel, we want a king, and we have these desires in our lives. We want them, we want them, we pursue them, and this text is saying we should be careful. You should be careful what you ask God for and what you constantly pursue because sometimes God will let you have things in your life even if they're not good for you. Instead, ask the question, God Let me seek your kingdom first. Let me seek you and your righteousness. Let me understand the depth of love that King Jesus has for me. Let me understand your kingdom as it is here now and help make it manifest. Help me to be filled with the spirit of God so that people will know there is a God in heaven because they'll feel your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your gentleness and your faithfulness and your self-control pouring out of me as I love them. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then we can ask that question, God, where should I go? What should I do? Seek God before you ask. Let's pray. Father, we come to you a broken people. We come to you a self-centered people. Father, I repent for trying to seek my own benefits. I repent from trying to gain prestige and honor and control through the political system or trying to find a champion who we can all rally around and that we could support. Father, we have a king. His name is Jesus. He was, he is, he will come again. Father, I pray as as a church, we repent for pursuing the things that we should not pursue. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God. Help us to see and experience the invisible kingdom of God right here, right now. And help us to long for the day when King Jesus returns bodily and transforms this entire world and brings in the new heaven and the new earth, his eternal king, which will last forever, and will not fade, help us to look forward to that day. Help us to live with that hope, with that anticipation, with that glory, with that joy. And help us, Father, in all of our pursuits to be agents of reconciliation. That is a radical view. That is not the way this world operates. I pray that you'll give us that vision. Help us to be men and women who reconcile people to you and reconcile people to each other. May our ultimate goal not be victory, but justice and reconciliation in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for us in our personal lives. Help us to see your face, to seek your face, to know you and be known by you so that we might see Jesus high and lifted up. Be filled with the Spirit, and go tell others the great hope we have in King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.